by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, balling up, calling entertainment. Let's get this started. Put the puck in the net. The Canadians lead by three. Jean-Avon, Gatchen Young, it's intercepted, ce sera l'échappé. Deux contre zéro, Suzuki, Garfield, Garfield, Suzuki, no! Goal! Suzuki, le héros! Il y aura un match numéro 6 à Montréal devant les spectateurs. Well, friends, the spectator will be there. The Habs put the puck in the net. The Habs scored those goals. And we got a series. Welcome to Tim and Friends. I am the Tim. You are the friends. Jesse Rubinoff in studio. Thank you for being a friend as we close out the week with a feel-good Friday. That is, unless, of course, you are a Leafs fan. In that case, let's all review together. Habs Leafs, game five last night was the most entertaining of the series. And it's not often you get a 4-3 win and your goalie was the difference, but... Carey Price is getting used to this. The Habs got that dream start we talked about all yesterday. 3-0, in fact. And all those greasy goals we were talking about yesterday. And it was our stat of the day on Wednesday. Since 2015, Price has received the least run support of any goalie in the National Hockey League. In fact, in 22 of 31 playoff starts during that time, the Canadians had scored two or less goals for Carey Price. 71% of the time. But, big but, when the Habs got three, just three or more, they were 9-0. Make it 10-0. You can see it on your screen right now. But it didn't come without a little angst and anxiety. Admit it, Habs fans. Muzzin scores his second, and a little pee came out. Huh? <laughs> Hey, Muzzin! I mean, the Leafs come back from 3-0 down, led by two goals by Jake Muzzin. That's exactly half his total from the entire year. And the second ties it in Jesse. Did it not kind of sort of feel like the Leafs were about to exercise their playoff demons with a little role reversal? Like... They were playing the role of the Bruins of the past, and the Habs were playing the role of the Leaf teams of the past. Did it start to feel like that when Jake Muzzin's out there sniping? Yeah, the momentum was with them, and it just felt like the Habs were running out of steam. They had been really desperate early in the game. Yeah. They did what they had to do in taking advantage of a couple brutal turnovers early in the game. Yep. And... You thought there's no way. But then once they got to overtime, once you get to overtime in hockey, in the playoffs, it's score, the third. score yeah. the third, yeah. and it felt like the Leafs had all the momentum in the world. Totally. In fact, Carey Price spoke on it after the game. He was talking about resiliency. Yesterday, we wondered if the Habs were truly committed to going young. And it was the two Utes that bailed them out, Caulfield and Suzuki. And I love the presence of mind from Caulfield to go back to Suzuki, not to get the big eyes for the game winner that you know he had, but make the right play. A little tap back to Suzuki, game set and match Montreal. Looks like 
Montreal's got one there in Caulfield. And because of it, and a couple of the greasy ones that we talked about, they also got one more game, at least in this series. As for the Leafs, Jesse mentioned it's sloppy at times. At least three of the goals off of direct turnovers. Sloppy at times. And even if they peppered Carey Price like a dozen of Lou Williams' wings, and because of it, I kept hearing, ah, Toronto's now lost six straight elimination games in the playoffs dating back to 2004. I hate stats like that. Context, people. What does 2004 have to do with this team? Even the Boston collapse. The Leafs have nobody left from that team eight years ago. Zero, none. This core group is different, though not immune. They have lost five straight elimination games. That's different from playoff games because of the qualifying round last year. So here's how it lays out. Three chances in back-to-back seasons against the Boston Bruins to eliminate them. Lost all of them. Game five last year against the Jackets. Lost. And last night, another chance to eliminate the competition, and they couldn't get it done. That's five. That's this core group. Now, if you're a Leaf fan and you've lived through all of it, I get it. I understand it. And you have to wonder, does the Buds' playoff history creep back into their mindset, or are they over that? Here's the beauty and the beauty of sport. Usually you get the chance to prove that that's in the past. And this edition of the Toronto Maple Leafs that spent the entire season trying to prove that they were different from the ones that came before them, tougher, more resilient, on and off the ice, those Leafs get a day off, and then the chance to prove all that stuff is ancient history. And what a stage it will be. Facing the ghosts and Gloria on Saturday night, in Montreal, in front of a crowd for the first time in over 14 months in Canada, in the immortal words of Robert Cecil Cole. Oh, baby, this is going to be a good one. Here's Thomas Tatar, followed by Cole Caulfield and Jason Spezza on the return of fans to the stands. Well, I just hope we're going to, you know, experience the high uh, tomorrow. Um... To be quite honest, you know, I'm just super, super excited to, to, to be able to see our fans back in a building. I think, you know, no matter the, the amount of people that are in the Bell Center, it's going to be electric. And um, you can just count on those fans to be, um, you know, passionate and dedicated to, you know, being behind us, giving every, um, you know, ounce of excitement they can. The good news for us, we've played in front of people before, so we should be comfortable with it. Um, and then in terms of just having people in the building, I think it's a great step towards uh, you know, what the future may hold here in, in terms of getting back to normal and, and talking more about life and allowing people into the building. So, um, you know, great to have people in the building. We enjoy playing in front of fans. Um, we're used to playing in front of fans, so we should be able to handle that that type of pressure. But uh, it's going to be add, add a little more to the excitement of the game, which we welcome as players. All right, two questions for you. Jesse, yep. Canada, what do you think? Is this a different Leafs team? Like, do the Habs have a real shot going home and forcing a Game 7? I think people are giving a lot of credit to what the atmosphere is expected to be like and the Habs going home and having fans there. But if I'm the Leafs, and you heard Jason Spezza kind of talk about this, I'm going to be jacked to play in front of fans 
regardless of what kind of fans they are, who they're cheering for. These guys haven't played in front of fans in almost a year and a half. You're going into a building that's actually going to have people cheering. I don't think it necessarily gives the Habs an edge. And in this case, I think we've seen through five games that the Leafs are the better team. And that's why I'm expecting, with the fans in attendance, I'm expecting the Leafs to, to get the job done. No, it's not going to look like that. It's no. not going to look like a full building. It is going to be 2,500 fans in the stands yeah. in Montreal. And what we have seen from the U.S. is that the juice is provided for both teams. You're right. Like totally. It hasn't been just one team or the home team getting the juice. Even the guys in the game have said that it feels amazing even when guys or girls are yelling and screaming at you that it feels like you get the juice home or away. For sure. Yeah. I mean, do you think, like, the Leafs, do you think there's an issue with them going to six games here? Like, do you think they're, they burn one Yeah, now. no. They burn, burn one. You've burned one, and you're going to get into a spot where you're going to Montreal yeah. on Saturday night. The Habs are going to be jacked. You're going to be jacked. And Carey Price, as we have seen, can steal one. Yeah. And if you get to a game seven in this series, you can't tell me that the Leafs that have been around for a while won't be gripping their stick a little bit tighter. I don't care if there's no fans in Toronto. Mm -hmm. There will be a feeling like, oh, boy, here we go again. Even if the Habs get up early yeah. on Saturday night. But you mentioned it's a different core. Now, are the players thinking about it like we are? Like, we are the ones that are talking about it. The media is the ones that are talking about there's, the pressure. They'll never admit to it. And there's a reason why they brought in guys like Bogosian, right. Gorton, Simmons, so that they can walk around the room and say, just play the way we've played, boys. Totally. They've outplayed. The Leafs have carried the play, what, like 80% of Definitely. the time in this Including series? Including last night. Including last yeah. night. Yeah. It's got behind 3 nothing. So, for me, it is the Leafs series to lose mm -hmm. and the Leafs series to win. And they can go in there and blow the doors off of them and finish a few of those opportunities against Carey Price, and all this will be in the past. It'll be ancient history, and it'll feel like a huge relief to this team to get through the first round. Or... Or Montreal gets a couple goals, and listen, it's not like Thornton has a cup. Yeah, it's right. not like all those guys are going to try and have an influence, but the ones that have been here throughout, it can't help but start creeping into the mindset. And you do not want to get to a Game 7, because like we saw in overtime last night, yeah. when there's, there's little, these little pockets in hockey. You get to overtime, anything can happen. Yeah. You get to Game 7, it's one game, anything can happen, and it's Carey Price you're going up against. Right. So they burned one, the Leafs got two more strikes We'll see. Uh, Jeremy writes in and says, I can't believe fans are reselling Habs tickets. I hope they ban Leaf jerseys. <laughs> right now, we had a look on StubHub Ticketmaster. Cheapest seat, single. Cheapest single seat, $1,500. And those are in the nosebleeds. Although it does say row AA. I just don't know what the hell that means <laughs> in a $2,500 uh capacity for a 21,000 seat stadium like I don't know what the hell <laughs> row AA means if that's front row at the top or if that's just straight old school nosebleeds I mean <laughs> we asked online earlier like how much would you pay right because they're going for a lot of money on StubHub and we've got a couple good responses I'm gonna just go through quickly okay just two or three yeah. uh, Michael says I'm sure I can find a couple of bucks in the couch cushions <laughs> I don't think you'll be able to afford no, the stub-ups. It, it appears as though you can't afford them with those couple of bucks. Unless, <laughs> unless 
you carry around a lot of tunies. Uh, yes, a lot yeah. of tunies. Uh, if you, they would let me out of Ontario, I'd pay for it. <laughs> uh, David says, it's not how much I would pay, but how much my wife will let me pay. I can guarantee those numbers don't Do not meet. Do yeah. Uh, and Max says, I can't afford to pay 4000 but I have a kidney if anyone is interested. <laughs> so, yeah, there's going to be, I mean, people are, it's going to go for a lot of money. There's These tickets are going to go for a lot of money. That's what happens when you only have 2500 It's the laws of supply and demand. And if people are willing to resell them, who knows? We're going to talk to Renault Lavoie in a flash, and we'll figure out just how they determined who would get those seats yeah. and whether or not $1,500 means as much to them as it might mean to the average fan. Right. Because I got a feeling it might have been the high-end. Yeah, that's a good point. Season ticket holders. But if there are Leaf jerseys in the stadium. That's going to be a tough There are look. going to be a bunch of pissed off, Very. real hardcore Montreal Canadiens no fans. No doubt. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Game 7. If they get to a Game 7, you know when that, that's when they start gripping the sticks real tight. Here's Zach Bogosian and first Sheldon Keefe on the pressure on the Leafs, especially given their recent history. I just don't think our players look at it that way. Save for the ones who have been here, you know, for multiple years. I think they, you know, they feel it. They recognize it. But, I mean, what, what would it be, 75% of our team that hasn't been here through a lot of those kind of things? We've got guys who've won many series. We've got guys who've won the Stanley Cup. Uh, so I, I just don't think those guys feel that necessarily. Um, this this team is independent of others, but you know there's there's guys within our group that that know that, and other other players you know want to support that. But we're we're competing to extend our season. That's that's this group. This group loves being with each other, and and uh, we want to continue on and, and move along to the to the next phase. We're going to get their best the rest of the series, uh, and and we need to go into Montreal tomorrow and, and play Game Six like it's our Game Seven, and and uh, go about it that way. So there it is. Uh, do you believe the Leafs, Jesse? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. But it's, I mean, it's been a, it's been a great series through five games. I think last night was probably the best game of the it was series. The most entertaining game. But like you said, the Leafs have outplayed the Habs substantially. They came into the series as the better team. Yeah. Most people were in agreement with that. So now you have two opportunities to close the door on the Habs. All right. Uh, I mentioned the beauty of sport when talking about the Leafs' opportunity yep. that persists in front of them. I'm sorry. But if you have any sort of soul, the pitcher from the first of two between the pitchers, excuse me, uh, from the first of two between the Yankees and the Jays yesterday had to tug at the old heartstrings. The beauty of sport. Many, including yours, truly were wondering if Yankees Stadium against the Bronx Bombers was the place to give the latest in the Jays' long line of top prospects his major league debut. But the Jays brought up Alec Manoa to do just that yesterday. And it couldn't have gone better for Manoa and his 35 innings of professional experience at any level. And for a quick second, some thought this might not go all that well. With an entourage of his family and friends in New York to watch the game, he walked the first batter on four pitches. And memories flickered back to Nate Pearson's one and only start of the season where he struggled with his control and walked five. Hasn't been back since. Manoa? No such problems. After walking DJ LeMayhew, he struck out Rugnet Odor and then struck out Aaron Judge. He followed by getting Glaber Torres 
to fly out on his way to six scoreless innings of work, allowing just two hits, punching out seven, and adding just one more walk the rest of the way. All while mom in the stands could not contain her enthusiasm nor her emotions, and who gives a bleep? Anyone who has ever dreamt of playing pro sports, anyone who has ever watched their kids play sports or had their mom or dad watch them play sports could relate to the amazing range of emotions from Mama Manoa. So out comes Alec after six unreal innings and there is a big sigh of relief from the kid. Like you could just see that he is on cloud nine and under any circumstances, that's the story, man. Wrap it up, tie a bow on it. That's the story. But Manoa did a post-game interview with her own Hazel May, and it was the kind of stuff that Hollywood tries to do, but it was in real, actual life with Manoa and May. Listen, I know you're locked in, Alec, but were you aware? Did you hear your mom yelling? I know it isn't a packed house there right now, but were you aware? Did you look up at all? No, I couldn't look up. Uh, I couldn't let myself do that uh, until I got out of the game. But, yeah, I heard them a ton. Uh, they, they keep me going, man. That's, that's who I do it for. Uh, they've helped me get here, man. So it's, it's just about, it's about them. Uh, you know, they, they do everything for me um, to be able to succeed. And uh, it's just amazing to be able to work, work as hard as I do uh, to be able to make them happy and proud. Your mom, was, your mom was close to tears when I, I talked to her. Uh, tell everybody that's watching why she is so important to you and the things that she has to sacrifice for you to get to this moment. Yeah, everything. Um, I've seen my mom not eat dinner to feed me and my brother, you know, and those kinds of things, I'll give her the world, I'll do anything for her. So she's my inspiration. She teaches me how to work hard every day. She teaches me how to keep going. She teaches me how to compete, um, you know, so her, my father, my brother, everybody, um, I couldn't be more thankful. Uh, it's all for them. It's awesome. Uh, a couple feel-good stories in the bigs last night. Chris Bassett of the A's had a memorable night, too. We'll explain a little later on in today's show. But the Leafs and Habs talk continues. And by the way, everyone writing in and suggesting that by saying that the Leafs have controlled 80% of the play means somehow in some way, shape, or form that we think that the Habs can't win, you're wrong. We've said Carey Price has been unbelievable and quite easily can steal games. We know it. We understand it. Take it each on the Twitter <laughs> machine, okay? Coming up, Renaud Lavoie will join us from Montreal. We'll check in on Steve Dangle, see how he's doing, how he reacted to another Leafs loss in an elimination game. Plus, Millard and Millar. That's right, my old friend Darren Millar will join us from Las Vegas ahead of game seven between the Golden Knights and the Wild and MLB Network's Kevin Millar on whether or not baseball has another cheating scandal on its hands. And it's Friday, which means the best of the week. This is Tim and Friends for a Friday weekend's almost here. Another one in 2021. Thank goodness. I just felt it difficult to read, you know, sometimes. That's why I lost my train of thought. Cole Caulfield, along with Suzuki. Goal! Suzuki! And we will have a game six. Here is one. He scores! 
big story today of course is Alec Manoa in his major league debut with six outstanding scoreless innings. There's a problem in baseball right now. There are people flipping the bird at the league. Here we go in overtime. Canadians trying to keep their season alive. Bogosian moves up. Leaf play five to fifth, but broken up. And with that, the Habs extend the series and will play in front of 2,500 fans tomorrow trying to force a Game 7. It just feels right. Hockey Central, Saturday night, 7 Eastern, followed by Game 6 at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet and CBC. Here's Habs coach Dominic Ducharme and then Jason Spezza on the feeling heading into it. We've talked about uh, we have an opportunity to do something special. So, and when opportunities comes like this, you know, you got to make the most out of it. And the guys really uh, played for each other and and um, fought hard. I think we just have to meet their desperation. I think that that's really the key. Um, they're a team that they know if they lose, they go home, and uh, we have to to meet and exceed that desperation. Our next guest joins us from Montreal, where the city is getting ready to host that game six and roll out the first crowd in Canadian sports in over 14 months from TV Aspor. Here is Renaud Lavois. Salut, Renaud. Qu'est-ce qui se passe, mon ami? I'm good. I'm good. And your French is always uh, beautiful. <laughs> Good I, job. Good I'm job. trying my best, uh, and my mom somewhere is just smiling that I'm getting a petit peu de français. Um, all right, perfect. Let, let's talk about what's going on here. Um, yeah. What's the What's the feeling in the city of Montreal after they force this game six and get it back? I got to imagine that folks are happy yeah. that they're going to see a game six at home with some fans. Yeah, I think the if you can resume with only one word now is hope, right? There was no hope before last game. Now, suddenly, uh, the tide changed a little bit, which is, uh, you know, something that we expected maybe a little earlier in that playoff series. You're going to say, Renault, it was already one nothing after the first game for the Canadians. But really, uh, I think fans expected uh, probably a 2-2 tie after four games. It wasn't, it didn't happen. Obviously, game four was a disaster for the Montreal Canadiens. And when I'm looking at the goal that you're showing right now, that this is this is what you know the Montreal Canadiens are hoping for 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 the future. You have uh, uh, Cole Caulfield, who's just amazing, and Nick Suzuki is really clicking with him. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Nick Suzuki is smiling right now because at one point I know it's all about the playoffs right right now, but if he keeps playing like that with uh, uh, with uh, Cole Caulfield, uh, Nick Suzuki is going to sign an amazing contract when he's going to be due a, a year from now. Renault, uh, Ben Sherratt, we keep playing the clips. He just says, we got to put pucks in the net. And now they, they match their goal total from the first four games yeah. in game five. What difference did you see in this Montreal team in game five as opposed to the first four games? Uh, they were desperate. Listen, they, the, you know, the, the problem with the Kenyans is really the way they played uh, game, uh, game, I'll say, at t- three and four at home, actually. Uh, it was a disaster. 
Not necessarily in game three. I think they could have at least tied that game, but mm -hmm. uh, Jack Campbell was really good. So they, they were desperate. They, they, they were around uh, Jack Campbell a bit more. Uh, they, they stopped respecting in, in a certain way the, the Maple Leafs and Jack Campbell. So uh, that, that changed. It's the number of shots closer to the goalie that's for me the big difference and the, the second and third uh, chance uh, coming in. And, and everybody was dialed in. So that was, in my mind, uh, the biggest difference. And I expect exactly the same thing tomorrow. The, the thing here, uh, we kind of, we're not mentioning Carey Price, right? Yeah. But Carey Price was just amazing in the first period. Again. Like, that guy was was Superman again. So uh, that that's something that's giving uh, the team a lot of confidence. Uh, but we're looking at Carey Price, and we expect all, all these saves. Uh, which in a way is unfair, yeah. but he's giving a lot of confidence to his teammates. Buddy, he's been he's he's been playing like that for years, right? Like, yeah, that's been that's expected it. of him for years. Yeah, exactly. And and you know what? When Carey's playing like that, when he's dialed in, when um you you you're lo looking at him and he's having fun. When Carey's having fun, even in a, in a playoff game, you know that his mind is at the right place. It's not about skills. It's about, uh, you know, the situation in front of him. And I think he's he's really on top of his game right now. Yeah, I kept warning people going into these series in Edmonton and Toronto. Exactly. Saying, listen, you got a Vesna Trophy winner on both sides. And Connor Hellebach yeah. did it to the Edmonton Oilers. And Carey Price is yeah. the only reason why we're still playing a series yep. between Montreal and Toronto. Listen, we mentioned Price, we mentioned the kids, and I love the Cole, the Cole Caulfield going back oh. to Suzuki. I mean, the presence of mind, like my eyes would have lit up like saucers if I got that pass from Suzuki. <laughs> but the presence of yeah. mind to give it back, it feels like Montreal's got something there. But we don't, out. we don't get to this point, Renault, if it's not for... Uh, the early going and some of the veterans. I thought Corey Perry was really good and Yoel oh. Armia, obviously. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the thing with uh, Yoel. When Yoel is uh, shooting pucks, when he's confident, um, he can be easily the best player on the Montreal Canadiens team. Yeah. Uh, and I shouldn't say Carey Price is not the best player, best but skater, he, he, best skater, exactly, yeah. the best forward, actually. And that's what we saw a little bit uh, last night. And and that's the value of a guy like uh, Yoel Armia. But Corey Perry, I mean, um, for me, Corey Perry is what a hockey player should be. Uh, he's such a great example for uh, the younger players, uh, uh, you know, playing for the Canadians. He wants to win. You, you know, he was the only regular player at practice the day before in, uh, in Brossard the day before game five and because he wanted to be on the ice. He wanted to just skate around with the, the other members of the organization. Who don't, they don't have the chance to, to, you know, to, to play, but he wanted to be with them. That's leadership. He didn't spend an hour on the ice, but it's just going out with the Romanov of this world, the Belzil, all these guys just, uh, you know, having fun with them and uh, flying back uh, to Toronto uh, right after. I mean, that that's something and if, if it was only me uh it would have been already signed for next season that guy's got uh, real value for a hockey team you know it's interesting when he left winnipeg there were a lot of people saying like if you unlock this talent 
in Yoel Armia, mm. you're going to get yeah. something good in Montreal. And you see flashes. Yeah. If there is some yeah. consistencies there, watch out. Uh, the difference yeah. between the Leafs of past and the Leafs of this year has been their consistency, their ability to keep their foot on the gas and totally. not let up. Um, are you surprised that you haven't seen more from Matthews and Marner and maybe uh, more specifically yeah, well, Mitch Marner? I think I think you have to give a lot of credit to Carey Price. He's got Mitch Marner's number right now. I mean, the, the number of uh, uh, scoring chances that Mitchell uh, has since the start of that playoff series is just through the roof. I, I like the way he's playing. I, I've got no complaint. I understand that he, he didn't score for a long time in the playoffs. Now you look at Austin Matthews uh, game, you know, it's easy to start pointing fingers, but he's going to find a way. There's no doubt in my mind that these two players are uh, elite and the creme de la creme, like we say in French, right? Yeah. So there's, there's no doubt that they're going to, uh, we're going to see different players tomorrow, but, but you have to give credit to Carey Price. You know, when, when the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Penguins were out of the playoffs last year in the bubble in Toronto. You should have hear what some of the players were telling me when they were talking about Carey Price. They were swearing. <laughs> they were not happy because they knew that Carey was the biggest difference again. Yeah. And if it wasn't of Carey Price, they would have played in the second round or I should say in the first round, right? So, uh, I, I mean, it's it's you have to give credit to Carey Price. He likes to play versus Austin Matthews, Mitch Mitch Barner, Connor McDavid, all these elite players. He likes to stand up and say, you know what, I beat you. Uh, remember the, that night, the other night in the playoffs. I, you remember what happened? Yeah, I think uh, I think I got you a couple of times. So, uh, I mean, it's a big challenge for Mitch and for Austin, but you know what? They they've I, I'm confident that they're going to find a way at, at one point. I got to ask how the Alex Galchenyuk really good game went over in Montreal and then yeah. the Alex Galchenyuk giving away the pizza for a 2 on 0 in overtime went over in Montreal. Yeah. You know what? It's a little weird. Everybody's saying that that was a great line. Galchenyuk, uh, Caulfield, and Suzuki is a great line, right? That's a sentence that I've heard a lot uh, since uh, uh, this morning. But, okay, what surprised me a little bit is Alex did, in a way, the right thing. Before touching the puck, he looked. He looked to see if there was somebody uh, at the blue line to, to help him. And uh, Caulfield saw it. You have to give a lot of credit uh, on this play to Cole Caulfield because he felt that Galchenyuk was going in that direction. And, and I've heard some people saying to me, Cole Caulfield is not good in his D zone. Well, Look at this play. And, and you know what? He's good in the D zone. So stop complaining about his game. I think you have to, to give a lot of credit to this kid. He's only 20. He's, he's just starting in the NHL. And look at him right now. So, yes, you can criticize as much as you want Alex Galchenyuk. At the same time, you have to give a lot of credit to Cole Caulfield. It's not a lot of players who, who can, you know, or react like he did. You know, I, I'll be fair here. There were questions about Cole Caulfield's defense because he wasn't in the lineup for the first two games. Like, yeah. people wondered if that's what kept him out of the lineup. I don't think he's coming out of the lineup anytime soon. No, I'll just but, say that. But, but, but you know what? The thing is, I don't, I don't believe it's about the way he was playing defensively, to be honest with you. It was more about the physical aspect right. of the game. Right. You know, and if you look at game yeah. one, yeah, game one, like if you look at what happened in Tampa, 
or uh, in Florida between the Panthers and, and the Lightning, you're looking at game one and you're looking at Cole Caulfield and you're like, I need to protect you, right? right. You can't you can't go play a game like like that to start your uh, playoffs career. It's, <laughs> it's 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 too much. So they wanted to protect him. They won they won the first game. You're yeah. not going to change the lineup for game two. That's the only reason. It's not about the way he's playing defensively. They really wanted to protect him in case the the, the first game uh, versus the Maple Leaf would have been a, a gong show in a way. All right, uh, 30 seconds. What's the key to game six in your mind? Um, you know, you, you need to be desperate. And, and Jason Spezza mentioned it, yep. and he's right. He knows. I mean, you need to play with, uh, you know, the desire uh, to finish your check, to to uh, have uh, the, to have a, every shift needs to count. Uh, you need to make sure that you're playing the right way. You need to make sure that you're really reliable defensively. I don't expect it's going to be a 4 nothing game for the Canadians tomorrow, right? It's going to be way more difficult than it was last night. Yeah. But if your mind is at the right place and if uh, the will is there, I think it's going to be really complicated for the Montreal Canadiens tomorrow. Renaud, I like talking hockey with you. Thank you for doing this. It's fun. Take care. Atanto, there is uh, Renaud Lavoie in Montreal, and I threw one more piece of French at him just to get him <laughs> chuckling on the way out. All right, I'm not sure if you've been checking out Steve Dangle's Sidecast. Not the podcast, the Sidecast. It's on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, and it has been amazing. It's called Watch a Leafs Game with Steve Dangle. Pretty literal. And after last night's heartbreaking loss to the Habs, I can't imagine how Steve's doing today. Let's check him out. Am I fine? Of course I'm fine. Are you fine? You're the one who asked the question. Are you fine? How am I doing after game five? No one asked me how I was doing after game four when they had a 3-1 series lead. I'm getting a lot of accusing looks from a bunch of you out there. Listen. Listen. I know I'm they lost to a Zamboni driver guy. I am the guy that they call to freak out when the Leafs lose. I get it. It's my lot in life. I don't know how I went about getting this reputation. Okay, maybe I have a couple clues. But I'm fine because this team is different. It's built different, okay? That was the Montreal Canadiens' best game of the series. Bar none. Bar none their best game of the series. And they still coughed up a 3-0 lead. Why are we acting like the 2,500 fans in attendance have superpowers? They don't. The Leafs have what it takes to win the series and win it in six. And they're going to do it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine too. You can watch game six with Dangle. Join the Navy kids Saturday night. All you got to do is log on to Sportsnet's YouTube page and you can ride the roller coaster of emotions with Dangle and see if he's fine. All right. When do we do the contest for every city's Steve Dangle? Like, that's got to come soon. Soon. Nominate yours now. <laughs> All right, still to come, we'll preview tonight's Game 7 between the Knights and the Wild. Darren Millard in Vegas will join us. But up next, it is our Friday tradition. It's the best of the week. Stick around, and we will name our nominees. In the best of the week on Tim and Friends. Sportsnet 360, 5.9 FM. Time now for the best of the week. Here's how we do it. We'll show you the options that you can vote on for the best of the week. You head over to sportsnet.ca slash vote. 
to make your choice. We've been combing the internet. We took stuff from the show earlier in the week. And we nominated for you at the end of the week so you can enjoy your Friday. Golf beef. Mm. Ruled the timeline on Monday. Jesse was all about golf beef. I mean, like, people getting upset at each other. After a video leaked from the PGA Championship's final round, Brooks Kepka was attempting to do a post-match interview with the Golf Channel. Bryson DeChambeau walks behind him, possibly said something to distract Kepka, or metal cleats. Metal cleats threw him off, further fueling the rivalry that is golf beef. Golf course was asking a lot from you today, Brooks. What were you able to do well and put up that nice number? Just ball struck my way around this place. Um, didn't putt well, but I don't think many guys are going to putt well with this wind. It's it's very tough. I don't like I said. I don't know what other guys have said, or I just felt it difficult to read. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes um, I lost. I lost my train of thought. Yeah, hearing that bull. All right, yeah, we're starting over. <laughs> we're going to enjoy that in the TV compound. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't even care. Well, you shouldn't care because it's out there now. It's, it's the metal cleats that he's upset at. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, yeah, that's the prevailing thought. But Brooks has got to find a way to get into the match. Like, you can't have a match with Bryson involved now and Phil Mickelson and Rodgers and Brady and not have Brooks Kepka in there. Like, what are we doing? I don't want to sway the vote, but I do think that this is fabricated. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes eliminated the Nashville Predators. Third, it's entertaining, but I think it's fabricated because they now they get money for what they get on social media and stuff. And this thing blew. Uh, never mind. Uh, Predators are done Thursday night overtime after losing to Carolina. And after leaving it all out on the ice, Canes head coach Rod Brindamore needed one, one more little thing from his team. This is a group. It's a family. In the dressing room, he got the players to sing happy birthday to his dad, Bob, who is a huge Hurricanes fan. This just seems like family. What can you say? How good is that? How good is that? You guys deserved it. Okay, you had a little hiccup in there, but you guys got it together. Can rally. Nothing feels better than that. Nothing feels better. You guys got kicked in the couple times, and you just stayed with it. You stayed with it. I got my phone in here. Here's why. Today, you guys don't know my dad, okay? He's an older dude. Hey, he had some health issues. Some of you guys I told you about, but all he does is sit and watch and root for us like you wouldn't believe. It's his birthday today. And I put him on, can you hear me? Yep, dear. Okay, my mom's on with my dad, but I just wanted to know how much you, you mean to, you, he means to you guys, you mean to him. And you gave him a huge, huge birthday. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday. Unprompted from the boys. That's nice, eh? Like the stage presence on Rod Brindamore. Oh, I like, know. He's got the jack body kits. He's bought. We know he's jacked. Yeah. He's, he's walking around, around like, like he Flair. owns yeah. the place. Yeah. He's a, he's a performer. <laughs> awesome. All right. That's nominee number two. Nominee number three. Speaking of huge fans, nobody is a bigger fan of Alec Manoa than his mom, Susanna. The 23-year-old Jays prospect made his major league debut on Thursday, and his mom was a roller coaster of emotions in the first inning alone. 
And he is here, his mom's here, Susanna, and everybody is looking forward to this first pitch in the career of Alec Manoa. And boy, mom's going to have to pace herself in the in the emotions department or it's going to be a long afternoon. <laughs> She's yelling, let's go, baby. He is not shy. Oh, two. There's a changeup to get him swinging. Nasty stuff as Manoa strikes out Odor. So his first out in the big leagues is a strikeout. One on, one out. No score. Bottom of the first. Just let me find somebody to hug, says Mom. <laughs> Mom's reaction after the strikeout of Judge. She can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, she's trying to video it with her phone. She needs to sit down. The first big league inning for Alec Manoa and his mom are in the books in the Bronx. Okay, I feel like I need to say this. Mom and dad's everywhere. That is awesome at the major league level. At your kid's little league game, it's a little extra, okay? <laughs> Just know that. Understand that you're not going to make this show doing that at the little league game, okay? Understand. Uh, roller coasters of emotions. Nominee number four does not even begin to describe what happened in the Cubs Pirates matinee game yesterday. Chicago up one nothing. Top of the third. They're down to their last out. Okay, last out. Two outs. Understood. Javi Baez, El Mago at the plate, and nobody expected this to happen. Here's the 0-2 home and a swing and a ground ball on to third base. He took a neck-high pitch and hit it on the ground to third. Now Baez running back toward home plate. Tag him, tag him. Tag him quickly. And what did Craig do there? They get a run out of that, and now they got to get the out at first. And they throw it into right field. That's going to get a run for the Cubs. Oh, my, what a loony play. And he's in at second base. Just tag him out. What was that? The Cubs are going to get a run, and Baez is safe at second base on a routine ground out to third. Okay, did the broadcasters not know, too, that if you just step on first base, you turn around and step on first base, dude is out, run doesn't score no matter how long before. If it's a force out at first with two out, run doesn't score. It was the home team broadcast, right? So maybe they just didn't want to throw too much shade at their own team. Because have you ever seen anyone well, run the other tag way? Tag them, turn around and walk back to <laughs> yeah. the base. That's all you had to do. And I'm not saying this because I, this is hindsight 2020. Yeah. Like, just turn around and step on the base, man. We, we said it yesterday. There's no way they knew that there were two outs. There's just no way. Anyone? Well, the first baseman for sure. Right. All right, uh, head to sportsnet.ca slash vote to make your pick. You can see the plays on our Twitter account at Tim and Friends with a link to vote as well. We will reveal the winner at the end of the show. Those are your nominees for the best of the week. Uh, the uh, the Twitter machine's rolling right now. I can see it just brr, brr, brr. What do you got going on in there? Well, uh, the Montreal Canadiens and IGA are welcoming frontliners for Game 6. This is a, a program that I think they have been doing for multiple games already. But essential workers have been invited to be among the 2,500 fans in attendance for Game 6. I know there are a lot of people on Twitter mentioning, you know, maybe this would be a great idea after everything yeah. frontline workers have been through throughout the pandemic. It would be a nice reward to get them inside the building 
And it's, it seems like they will be among the 2,500 fans that are going to be inside Bell Center for Game 6, which is just awesome. It's awesome. Well, it's just interesting to me because it felt like there wasn't a lot out there on how the tickets were distributed. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was a push to get the, fen- the friends and family yeah. of the players into the arena because they hadn't been able to go. I knew that there were frontline and essential workers being pushed. And I also knew that there was a lottery among the season ticket holders to get in. So... It seems as though Montreal, and we knew this would happen when the first few people were allowed in. It was like the Super Bowl. Yeah. Remember the Super Bowl? There was a real big push, and the NFL listened and made sure they had frontline workers in there as well. But I guarantee you, just like the Super Bowl, there are a few high-level sponsors who will be yeah. in the building as well. They're allowing everybody in, the frontline workers, season ticket holders. Makes you think, 2,500? Maybe we creep a little bit over 2,500 if you start inviting everybody in. Uh, we'll safely, see. of course, safely. because you have yeah. to add that caveat yeah, every time definitely. you say something. Like that. <laughs> time for a break. Make sure you go vote on our best of the week. Cardinals manager Mike Schilt called it baseball's dirty little secret. Trevor Bauer has compared it to the steroid era. Just how bad is the problem of pitchers using foreign substances? We'll discuss it with Kevin Millar of the MLB Network. Coming up on this edition of Tim and Friends across the Sportsnet family of channels. Sheepdogs back here for our number two. Tim and friends, Jays and Cleveland coming up. Sportsnet one tonight. Kevin Mala will join us shortly. We'll have uh, our first game seven of the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Our first game seven of the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Got it good and since you understood. That was for me. Got it good and since you understood for me. Golden Knights host the Wild. Uh, and that is coming your way a little later on. Vegas hosts a game seven for the first time in their history. See it. 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific on Sportsnet. Darren Millard will join us later to tee it up. So you got that right. We've got Millard and Millard. Millard, Millard on this edition of Tim and Friends. The Canadians will try and force another Game 7 as they host the Leafs in front of 2,500 fans tomorrow. Have you heard there's going to be fans tomorrow (laughs) at the Bell Centre in Montreal? Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe said today that Nick Foligno skated and will be a game-time decision for tomorrow. While they will also discuss bringing Travis Dermott back into the lineup, possibly or probably at the expense of Rasmus Sandin, but no decision has been made. As for the Canadians, head coach Dom Descharmes says that Arturi Lekkanen still won't be available for Game 6, while Jake Evans has a chance to return. Still lots of questions on Alexander Romanov, who has yet to play in the series. Here's what Descharmes said about Romanov today. Putting the, the, the young guys uh, in situation where they can succeed is something important. So, yeah, you need to consider everything. I like to talk to my players, sit down with them, and make them understand really uh, from top to bottom oh, the reasons why and so on. And, and going public with that, I, I don't think is a good thing. 
Hey, Jesse, did we mention there's going to be uh, 2,500 fans in attendance only, only, only once or twice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for the first time in a Canadian NHL arena or any arena, for that matter, in Canada, we've got 2,500 fans in, what, 14 months? Here's Thomas Tatar, Cole Caulfield, and Jason Spezza on Fans in the Stands. Well, I just hope we're going to, you know, experience the high uh, tomorrow. Um uh, to be quite honest, you know, I'm just super, super excited to 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 be able to see our fans back in a building. I think, you know, no matter the, the amount of people that are in the Bell Center, it's going to be electric. And um, you could just count on those fans to be, um, you know, passionate and dedicated to, you know, being behind us, giving every, um, you know, ounce of excitement they can. The good news for us, we've played in front of people before, so we should be comfortable with it. Um, and then in terms of just having people in the building, I think it's a great step towards uh, you know, what the future may hold here in, in terms of getting back to normal and, and talking more about life and allowing people into the building. So, um, you know, great to have people in the building. We enjoy playing in front of fans. Um, we're used to playing in front of fans, so we should be able to handle that that type of pressure. But uh, it's going to be add, add a little more to the excitement of the game, which we welcome as players. The comedian Jason Spezza, love it. And of course, but we haven't seen them for 14 months. We'll see if that 2,500 fans makes a difference. Meantime, the Jets continue to wait for their round two opponent after sweeping the Oilers. Jets will now have to wait at least a full week before starting round number two. Cue the rest versus rust debate. Here's Paul Maurice and his team's preparation. We're just basically waiting to get some idea of what a schedule might look, depending on the different eventualities, so that we can kind of, we know what our last two days of practice are going to look like. The question is, where would we fit if we had another off day, where how we would fit that in. So the rest is really, really important because you get to heal up a lot of them. I mean, we had 47 shot blocks in the last game. That's a lot of ice bags. So we'll get a, we'll get a chance to heal those up, and then you want to be as fast as you can leading into the series start. Want to welcome all those who are watching on Sportsnet as the Secret Dream Gap Tour continued. Montreal's team Bauer beat Calgary's team Scotiabank 4-3. Hope you enjoyed the coverage. We'll have highlights in a flash and get more from that panel in just a little bit. The Jays start a series in Cleveland tonight after taking two of three in New York, including a dazzling debut for Alec Manoa with great pictures and memories to last a lifetime. We'll discuss that with Kevin Millar in just a couple of minutes. But Hinjin Ryu will get the start tonight for the Jays against Eli Morgan, who will make his major league debut. 25-year-old Morgan is not in Cleveland's top 30 prospect list, but he knows Jeff Passan personally. It's a good story. Maybe one day we'll tell it to you. Jays going with a somewhat familiar lineup in the opener. Top six sort of finding some continuity with Simeon, Bichette, Vladdy, Teoscar, Grichuk, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Then it's Joe Panic playing second, Santiago Espinal at third, and Danny Jansen will be behind the plate for Hyunjin Ryu's start as per usual. And despite there being rain in the forecast in Cleveland, Charlie Montoyo says, your Friday night plans are still intact, kids. That's one thing we wanted to make sure we talked to MLB and make sure that, that everything's clear. So everything looks like it's, it's fine to play. 
because otherwise we were thinking about Rio. We didn't want to start Rio and then rain and stuff. But right now, everything's clear. The only thing is just like it's really cold. And I'm by the low, and that's why I get all these on. So, not, not one of <laughs> those stop and start. Right. Not one of those stop and start situations, anything like that. Yeah, they say it's clear. That's what they said. You know how the weather goes, but that's what we got right now. There's a problem in baseball right now that has to do with sticky substances and spin rates. We might not have had the technology before to measure how sticky stuff affects the ball, how it spins, how it moves, but all that research is clear now. We know how it affects spin rate, and we know how spin rate affects outcomes and pitches and movements, whether they have a big difference in a game, a season, and each individual player's career. And I, it's my opinion that it is the same argument that was used when steroids were going on in the game. If you just look the other way and you let some people do it, the people who choose not to do it are at a competitive disadvantage, and that's what's going on right now. So that was Trevor Bauer back in 2018. Now, more than three years later, foreign substances remain baseball's dirty little secret, almost literally, although maybe about to change. Several hitters have spoken out on the topic in the last little while, saying the problem is rampant across the majors, and all you got to do is look at the stats, or the stats in English, spin rates, have been going up for several years now, but they have increased dramatically over the last three seasons. The league's current 236 batting average would be the lowest ever for a full season, and the 24.2% strikeout rate would also be a record. And did I mention there have already been six no-hitters thrown in the majors this year? The record for a full season is seven. Major League Baseball sent a memo to teams in March saying it would collect and examine balls from any pitcher suspected of using a foreign substance. And guess what? Bauer himself has had some balls confiscated this season. But enforcement has been minimal and arbitrary at best, which set off Cardinals manager Mike Schilt Wednesday when Joe West requested that Giovanni Gallegos take his hat off for examination. There are people that are effectively and not even trying to hide, essentially flipping the bird at the league with how they're cheating in this game with concocted substances. Major League Baseball is is trying their best to do it in a manner that doesn't create any black eye for the integrity of the game that we love. But speaking of integrity, how about the integrity of the guys that are doing it clean? That's the guys I'm speaking for. I'm speaking up for the hitters that have a living to make facing stuff that's already really, really good. And you can see, based on spin rates, how guys' careers are jumping off the charts. But let's go check the guys that are sitting there going their glove every day with filthy stuff coming out, not some guy before he's even stepped on the mound with a spot on his hat. That's how you want to start policing this? Can I tell you 100% that all our guys are 100% clean with nothing, you know, other than some sunscreen and some rosin, which the hitters don't mind, by the way, because they want the grip. So you want to police some sunscreen and rosin? Go ahead. Get every single person in this league. Hit by pitches will just continue to go up. Balls will get away. But why don't you start with the guys that are cheating with some stuff that are really imp impacting the game and impacting how people play this game? 
And that's the, that's the integrity of the game I'll speak up for. Popular, I really don't care. It's accurate. I got it. Joe West picked one guy, and he might force the league into a situation because he picked one guy. League says this is a priority, but nobody has been disciplined for foreign substances this season, and the frustration is mounting. Case in point, Josh Donaldson tweeted this. He's ready to release an entire catalog of pitchers who cheat if Major League Baseball doesn't do something about the problem. Rob Manfred needs to act very soon or he may have another major cheating scandal on his hands. Or at least that's the way I see it. Here to help me sort through this is a dude that rarely pulls a punch, host of Unintentional Talk on MLB Network and former world champ, Kevin Malaro. Welcome back, my dude. Thanks for doing this. Boys, thank you. I went, hey, I went straight. I went hat backwards because that shadow was getting me. So that's where I'm at right now. This is a cool Cali look. I, I wish I could wear the hat to hide a few things, but I can't do it. Actually, I could. Who the hell cares? Uh, maybe every once in a while I'll throw on the, the lid. You see me in real life, I usually got a hat on, maybe not backwards, but a little CC Sabathia cock to the side look. That's right. <laughs> uh, so... How, how bad is the other substance abuse problem? Like the one that we're talking about here with the spin rates and the pitchers using stuff on the balls. How bad is this problem? You know, to be honest with you, I've always stayed in that divided scene because you have your position players, right? That yep. play every day, that grind every day, that's through sorenesses and aches and diving back to the bag. And that's real quick. That's why the Karapkin you know, streak will never be broke. I mean, just not even to have a finger hurt compared to pitchers that kind of go out there once every fifth day or relievers that might throw seven innings a year. And then we talk about, boy, they were abusing the bullpen. Do they put stuff on the balls? Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Every one of them do, whether it's some kind of, well, I say everyone, I can't say that. When I say whatever do, they do. It's a pine tar, it's a sticky spray. Uh, if some, you know, get the, the rosin sweat off the arm, no problem. But you are looking for a grip, okay? And I know the baseball is rubbed down by the Mississippi, you know, mud in, in, in uh, Mississippi. Uh, but there is stuff on the baseball, on guys, you know, thing. And that's for help, whether that's to help you have a grip, help you have a better curveball, help you have a better cutter, whatever it is. So, if the hitters aren't allowed to have a substance or whatever, then the pitchers don't have a lot of substance or whatever, then what is the rule? And I always say as a hitter, I don't mind them having a substance if it's going to allow them not to throw the 100-mile-an-hour fastball at your neck. If right. they need a grip because the ball's a little slippery, go ahead and grab some pine tars, some sticky spray or bras and whatever they use if it's not going to if it's gonna give you better command of 100. But if we're going to the point where we've already got six no-hitters because guys – it's it's helping more than just grip. It's helping spin rates. It's helping. Here's right. here's the problem as I see it, and and this is kind of baseball history, right? When when nobody jumped on the juice problem, more guys had to do it to keep up. Uh, when the Apple Watch with the Red Sox and Yankees, I came on this very show, this very desk, and I said, listen, if you're not gonna punish this bad, it sets a bad precedent. And then we got to the garbage cans, right? And then the garbage cans. The players didn't really pay for the garbage cans. And with millions on the line, like I understand sitting here, like, and you, you've been in it. Like, why wouldn't you try and get the competitive advantage? And that's where the problem lies is 
If someone else is getting over on you and the difference is millions of dollars, it puts you as a player in a bad position. You are absolutely nailing it, okay? Nailing it because you're dealing with, by the way, if you look to some of these players these days, they're all six foot three. They're all really good. They're really strong. They all have trainers. We always have a joke back here because I got four, you know, I got a 10-year-old, 14-year-old, and two 16-year-olds. Well, guess what? Everybody's got to have a private lesson, right? <laughs> the tennis player, you're in select ball, you're traveling all over because Henry's gonna be the next, you know, Acuna Jr. This is the this is the problem, right? So there's there's millions of dollars at stake. Right. They're giving away a boatload of CEO money out there to play sports, right? Right. Tatis, three hundred fifty million, whatever you want, Lindor. So the advantage is part of what you do. You want to be great. You want to work out nine hours a day. You want to have, take batting practice five. You're trying to be great. You're trying to be the best you can. And if a little substance on a baseball allows you to have more spin rate, you're going to do it. The problem is don't get caught. The problem is hide it better. The problem is, like, you, the commissioner's last thing he wants to do is sit and have to address all the stuff every single day, right? And right. that's a normal thing. It's his job, but... Here's, here's this team complaining about this guy. Here's this team complaining about this guy. And can't you, you know, and, and, and I'm telling you, I don't know what they're putting on the ball. I really don't. But if they are throwing a little sticky stuff, you know, there's these spray stuff that we use for bats. Yeah. Pitchers will do it all that time, you know. But in human places, when it's a million degrees out and you're in Kansas City in July, yeah, it's hard to stay dry. I mean, you're, you're, you know, with that gloves at, you're constantly, and that's why you see a lot of pitchers, you know, it's like you're trying to stay dry. You ever watch John Lester throw? I mean, he's yeah. dripping. His hat's just completely dripping. <laughs> yeah. So you understand it, but, like, I don't know where you draw the line because it's there. Right, and that's the problem, and I think that's why Rob Manfred has stood back for so long, or that's why Major League Baseball has stood back for so long, because the line is arbitrary. There's no, right. we need to get rid of this, and the last thing Rob Manfred wants to deal with is another one of these scandals where people are pissed off. But I'm going to tell you, if Joe West or another umpire wants to go and do that, I think I think Major League Baseball's got to figure out how they're going to police this. That's the to me that's the yeah. bottom line. How do you how are you going to police this because you're not doing a great job of it right now? Yeah, what substance are we going to allow? Right. I mean, do you allow a little pine tar rag back there with the rosin? Will that help everybody out? I mean, we've already had the Mike right. situation where it was like I mean, his Pintar friends must Yeah. I mean, nobody nobody said, hey, Mike, go ahead and wipe some of that off because it looks like it's full-on caramel on your neck. Like, <laughs> this is the thing. Maybe you add a little something or a little whatever they need. I don't right. know what they're using. I mean, is it Abilene? Is it Vaseline? Now, probably not. I don't want your sinker dropping five feet. But <laughs> a little tacky on the hand, will that make everybody feel better? I don't think that's why we have six hitter, or six no-hitters. Right. Uh, I mean, they've no-hit. Who was it? Who's been no hit twice? Well, the Mariners, yeah, <laughs> twice. And the other team, yeah. And the other team was there was a, it was there's out of the, out of the six no hitters, four, four of those games are the same two teams. Yeah. You know, so it is yeah. what it is. And and approach and all that thing. Like I okay, let's. See, and right. I want I want to end on a positive note. We're this is this is negative. I don't want to keep That's it there. Right. It's a feel good Friday, Kevin. I, I want to end. Did you see Alec Manoa's debut at yes. Yankee Stadium and his mom out there? And I know you were just talking about your boys. Like, it could have gone better for the kid. And I was sitting here. I'm going to be the one, like, 
man, Yankee Stadium, you got 35 innings of professional experience. You're going to throw them into this fire, this lineup, Yankee Stadium, and the kid handled it. Um, have you seen a better debut, and do you remember what your debut was like? Yes. Uh, to answer both those questions, I called my wife in the room last night, yeah. and I said, babe, I want you to see this. It, it gives me chills now to see how awesome mommy felt yeah the excitement like this is the stuff like I, my dad was always you know mom and dad were like you get to the biggest you don't realize how exciting that is for a parent because we're kids we're not a parent we're not we're not a dad yet you know yeah. we're not a mom yet so your dad or mom oh you don't realize that we love you so much yeah okay whatever all right guys let's go <laughs> let's go to the bar let's go get some dinner now to see that passion of mommy just going down and you saw she's just like I just need I need a break. And it was so real and natural and exciting. And so I, I, I loved everything about that. And I'll tell you, my first opening day start. My grandfather and I were very close. My dad's dad, we talked every day. He was sick. And the bottom line is that I was 0 for 2 against LeVon Hernandez. We were playing the, the Giants. And uh, this was in 2001, my first start. Or 2000. And... I was over two. I got to hit my third at bat, base up the middle. And that night I get home and my, you know, they broke the news that Pop had passed. Oh. And he'd been battling, but he didn't pass till I got that last hit. They said as soon as he singled up the middle, it was like this calmness. And then boom, he went nine night and that was it. And to hear that kind of story, like that's real life stuff. You saw Alex's mommy, real life stuff, the excitement, the passion. And, and, and these are what make the game so great, you know. And, and I know everybody's first time to call their dad and say, hey, man, I'm going to the show. When you get called up, yeah. we take those times and those little moments for granted these days. And let's never take those for granted because we all know the select baseball, select ball world that we live in. I mean, you got mom and dad getting all excited at 12 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, let alone when your son calls you and says, hey, I'm going to the big leagues. And I thought that was so awesome last night. That was so awesome, and I didn't even know the story about your first um, major league game, and that is an unbelievable story. Your Gramps fought for you. He yes. fought for you, and he waited for it. That is yes. an awesome story, dude. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for doing this. No, awesome stuff. Then we end in a good note. See how we're ending? Yeah, I'm on a little positivity here. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Be well, and uh, go throw some BP to the kids. Apparently, they, uh, they need the privates. This is a private <laughs> lessons day. Come <laughs> kids. Hey, don't worry. I'm in it, too. I'm in it, too. I'm guilty. Be well, man. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, you too. There's Kevin Millar joining us here. God's honest story, Jesse. Yeah. So I didn't want to be that dad. My, like the, I wanted to be the furthest thing from that dad. And I got a buddy who works in hockey, pretty high level. Mm -hmm. And my kid started in hockey. He's more of a, my boy started in hockey. He's more of a baseball player now. And I kept saying to him, like, all these dads are doing these private things. Like, it's ridiculous. And finally, he just turned to me and goes, buddy, everyone's doing it. Start doing it if you want your kid to play hockey at a high level. Like, that's what, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be that dad. And lo and behold, my son doesn't want to play hockey. <laughs> <laughs> that's good for you. Yeah. So baseball, maybe we'll do a few privates for him. Still to come, Darren Millard will join us ahead of tonight's Game 7 in Las Vegas. But up next, it was a thriller in Calgary. Latest edition of the Secret Dream Gap Tour. We'll check in with Carolyn Cameron and the panel for post-game reaction after this. Tim and Friends.
Back. Both goaltenders have had to make some brilliant saves. Here's Aldridge with the shot. She scores! Jesse Aldridge with the goal for Team Bauer, and they're back out front now, up 4-3. Montreal's Team Bauer beat Calgary's Team Scotiabank 4-3 earlier today in the Secret Dream Gap Tour. For more, let's send it to Carolyn Cameron and our Sportsnet panel who brought you the coverage earlier today. Alongside Blake Bolden, Carolyn Houlette, and Jennifer Botterill, and Jen, thus far this week in Calgary, I've known one thing to be true, and that's if Marie-Philippe Poulain is playing, she will score a goal. <laughs> that much is true, and there's a reason why she's recognized as one of the best talents to ever play the game. And in today's game, she lived up to those expectations that surround her. There are so many elements of her game. She's not often caught off guard, but late in the first, she takes a hit from Megan Mickelson, but it doesn't take her long to respond. Early in the second, she's the one delivering the hit. We see from her such patience, poise with the puck, she's so evasive. She's so sound defensively, making good decisions, blocking the shot. But this is what she's known for in terms of that jumping into the open space and burying those offensive opportunities. Once she's rolling, you know she's going now. Forehand, backhand, off the post. Forehand, toe drag between the legs. Doesn't quite connect on that one. But also displaying her leadership for young uh, star Eldridge there. Poulain's on the bench to encourage her. So a humble star, but Poulain's always driven to get better. And we'll get to Eldridge in a moment. But for Team Scotiabank, Team Calgary, in the third period, it was Sarah Potomac who tied things up. And Blake, you liked her play from the very first drop of the puck. Yes, absolutely. Sarah Potomac showed us that she was ready to play in today's game. She had early opportunities right off the bat. She's a younger player engaged in the game. Here she is with that first scoring opportunity for Team Calgary Scotiabank. And she's ready to shoot the puck, almost putting in her own rebound. She's so very smart, always surrounding the net, ready to clean up the garbage goals. And she earned this, ready in front from Blair Turnbull, knocked on her butt, but it was all worth it. Sarah Potomac had an incredible game, unfortunately couldn't bring it home for Team Scotiabank. And the aforementioned Jesse Eldridge, the 23-year-old Caro, she earned that game winner. Yeah, and I can't think of a more deserving player to be the first star to score the game-winning goal tonight. Jesse Eldridge has been dangerous in every game so far this series. And she had a great challenge ahead of herself this week, playing with Marie-Philippe Poulain and Jillian Sonnier. We see her here, soft hands in the slot. She's just as good screening the goalie, tipping puck, but she also has a soft touch around the net. Um, she's dangerous. With her speed, with puck protection move, we see here great eye and coordination to catch that pass from Poulain. Great fake, looking the other way, shooting through the goalie's leg. So a great young player that has a truly a bright future with the national team, and I look forward where she can take her game. And she was modest, too, post-game, telling our Brendan Parker, well, it's easy to look good when you have Mary-Philippe Poulain and Gillian Saulnier as my line mates, but... 
She looked good in her own right. And Team Scotiabank, although they looked good, as Blake said, they're still searching for their first win of the tournament. And they'll be back at it on Saturday at 12.30 Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, right here on Sportsnet, as they take on Toronto's Team Sonnet in the final game of the Rand Robin. Thank you very much, Carolyn Cameron and company. And every time we talk about Marie-Philippe Marie Poulain, mm -hmm. it is just in glowing terms. And the best part of her game is not only is she probably the most skilled woman in the world, she's clutch. Big goals all the time. Uh, all right, from the Secret Dream Gap Tour to Inside the Lines, brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's odds maker, 19+. plus. Please play responsibly and for it, Jesse we patting ourselves on the back a little bit here? What's going on? Just a little bit. A couple of series have come and gone now. And Timmy, me and you, we look pretty good. Why don't we roll the tape from last week? Okay. <laughs> the New York Islanders always seem to be a different team when it comes to the postseason under Barry Trotz. The Pittsburgh Penguins have two goalies that have one combined start in the postseason. And I think there is value in taking the Islanders. Tampa Bay here, I think, is incredibly underpriced when you take into consideration that Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos will be coming back. Completely and utterly agree with you. Sometimes when you get into the postseason, the head-to-head -head battle between teams really does matter. And I think the Wild might have Vegas's number. A lot of people picking Vegas to go all the way, but they're going to have their hands full, and there is value on the Minnesota Wild. Oh, you need to roll out at the end there. <laughs> Look at the eyebrows moving up and down. <laughs> Should have seen the grin while we were watching it back in no, studio. The no. one I disagreed with you on was the Islanders. I didn't think that, I mean, I understood where you were going on that because you were getting a little bit of value on it, but I didn't think the Islanders were going to beat the Penguins. Honestly, it was more of a bet than an actual, like, I, didn't, I didn't think that it was going to no, happen, but, that's but how, it was a value. But that's how you should tackle if you're going to gamble, yeah. and please do it responsibly if you are. Of course. But if you are going to gamble, that's what you have to look at. You have to look at the payout versus the ability sure. of that happening. For sure. And uh, good on you, bud. So, well, the Wild is not done yet. Wild is not done. We got game a game seven, seven tonight. Nine. Why don't we take a look at some of the bets that I'm thinking? So we had the Wild to win the series. Now the Wild to win Game Seven. We are not backing down before tonight's. Let's double down on that. Uh, five of the last eight Game Sevens in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs have been a one-goal game. So if the Wild are going to win, let's try for a one-goal victory. That's plus three eighty. And Zach Parisi was scratched for a bunch of games near the end of the season and in the playoffs, but he's got two points in three games. He's found the fountain of youth, the 36-year-old. So why don't we have Zach Parisi get a point? And if the Wild win tonight, that's going to be a lucrative board. But Timmy, let's not stop it there because when Justin Bourne came in here prior to game one between the Leafs and Habs, we had some Leafs and Habs series bets. Yeah. Why don't we roll that back? Tell him again, bad boy. <laughs> Let's give the Habs a little bit of credit. They come in, they steal game one, but they still lose the series. That number is plus 400. So there's a ton of value if you want the Habs to win So they got to win game they one. They win game one, but loses. lose the series. You get plus 400, and then if the Leafs win the series in six, yes. you end okay. up getting the plus 309 anyway. If you're picking All the right. Leafs to beat the Habs in six games, that is going to be a very profitable board. Now, I'll leave out the part that didn't come true, 
But that yeah, the lies. first top of the board. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the top of the board. Forget about Tomorrow's it. Was bad luck. The, okay, the rest yeah. of it. <laughs> my goodness, that uh, is pretty impressive. Well, now you know why I'm so bullish on the Leafs in Game Six because we you want need, it. You need it. Yeah. <laughs> so that to, to so full disclosure on that when Jesse bet it and I said, "Can I get half of that?" Yeah, I just I didn't look at it. I didn't see it until he presented it to Justin Bourne and I, and I took half of that. So pretty good. Pretty interesting stuff. The only bet that we have for game six on the board uh, to win game six in regulation. We are just adding that as well because the value on the Leafs winning on the money line right. was not good enough. So we said go for the Leafs in regulation. The odds are a little yeah. bit better. And they haven't posted the player props yet on Sports Interaction, but when they do, I'm going to get back on the Austin Matthews train because – one goal in five games. He's got the most scoring chances in the series, yeah. the most shots on goal in the series. It's going to come sooner or later, so why not at least hop on that train? All right, I won't pull the big shoe off this time. We'll just wait for it to happen. Come on. Wild tonight, too. <laughs> Up next, they've been called the best two words in sports. Darren Millard. That's right, kids. Game seven, Las Vegas, Minnesota. We will join our old friend live before the game. I think on site next here on Tim and Friends. He's not going to like that wild pick. Mm-mm. Welcome back, Tim and Friends. First ever Game 7 at home for the Golden Knights as they try to advance against the Wild. Lost two straight after taking a 3-1 series lead. And the Wild 3-0 all-time Game 7s on the road. Something's got to give as Vegas coach... Peter DeBoer, 5-0 all-time in Game 7. Scott Goodson, 200 said, see it on Sportsnet CBC. 9 p.m. Eastern. And for this, we go straight to Vegas. And Darren Millard, who joins us from the arena. What's up, D? How are you? What's happening? Do you want to see the rink? Yes. Do you want to see the rink? I would love to see All the right. rink. What's... Oh, look at this. Ready. What's Ready. the... Uh, listen, I, uh, I don't know how to say this in Canada, but... What's the atmosphere like in the city heading into this game seven? Because from what I understand, Vegas is relatively open. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, we're, we're living life to it. It's, it's a long weekend here. And uh, I got to tell you that uh, Memorial Day, kind of the opening of the summer, like May 2-4 there. So uh, things are coming back to life. And they have been actually for a couple of weeks. But this is the first long weekend since uh, the pandemic kind of turned. And it's rocking and rolling there. They're going to have 12,000 plus in the ring tonight. Uh, as you mentioned, first ever Game 7. Uh, this, you know, as much as... Uh, as much as the Golden Knights wanted to close this out on Monday and Wednesday, uh, I'm really excited to see a Game 7 in this environment uh, for the first time and what it's going to be like. Yeah, I think it's been going to be really cool, and uh, the spectacle of what they do inside this rink is like uh, nothing else in the National Hockey League, and Game 7, you kind of elevate it by 20 or 30%. So uh, that part of it, I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one because it's kind of flip-flopped uh, over the course of the series. Yeah, they, they've gone back and forth. And I know that there are uh, some COVID issues going into this game. What's the latest? Um, it, did I hear correctly Ryan Reeves back off the COVID list? 
You did hear correctly. Okay. So it's been uh, Braden McNabb is on the COVID list. Sounds like he's going to be out for a little bit. But Ryan Raves, who did not play in game six because he was uh, on the COVID list, uh, was on the ice for the practice today. False positive on that front. So Ryan Reeves uh, is available for tonight's game. And when he's available, I anticipate that Ryan Reeves will be in. So that's uh, that's a physical presence uh, and it gives you uh, that fourth line, that meat grinder line, as they, they call them here, uh, to be able to go out there and match up head to head. So uh, that's uh, that's a big one for the for the Vegas Golden Knights. But another false positive, and that's, I mean, last week they had half the team on it. That was a lab mix up, but there's it's been a few of them. And uh, through that false positive, they missed uh, Ryan Reeves for a game. I know it's a, it's a game day and you got to get going here soon, but there's been some talk over the last little while that Vegas, for all of their talent, for all of their success, are a little Swedish and a little less Finnish. Is there some pressure on these boys <laughs> heading in? Yeah, I think a lot of that conversation, uh, Timmy, goes back to a year ago in the bubble when they ran a, into Thatcher Demko and the Vancouver yeah. Canucks, and that was uh, that was a challenging time. They were up 3-1 and were forced to go to a seventh game and ended up winning that one 3 nothing. and uh, were led by Robin Leonard in that one. This is a very different series. Uh, with all due respect, I can't tell, but uh, this has been more the Minnesota Wild, who are a better team than Vancouver was a year ago, uh, being more in line with the Vegas Golden Knights, closer in that talent discrepancy and Cam Talbot has produced a couple of great performances, game number one and game number five. But uh, in uh, in game six, uh, he was kind of just like the rest of them, really good. That was a team win for the Minnesota Wild. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, that this was uh, a goaltending that's stopping the Golden Knights from, from scoring because uh, Cam Talbot, this is more of uh, a great system and a great presence on a much better team by the Minnesota Wild. Now, Vegas, Tim, did score nine straight goals in this series from game <laughs> Games, uh, three to four so they, they have been able to get to the net in stretches uh, just the last couple of games it's been a, a little more challenging it's there's some pressure on Vegas uh, there's this is also the time where Minnesota becomes real uh, you're not trailing a series by yeah. a couple of games playing with house money it's it's three three so we'll see where it shakes down there's one of these teams was a Stanley Cup contender at the start of the year though and that's the Vegas Golden Knights so probably weigh a little bit more on their side yeah without a doubt uh listen I always say this to people but game days are different we really appreciate your time and I know that you got to go do work so we'll let you go do that work my boss is right beside me and he's like going like this right. going like this <laughs> hey uh, uh Tim Tim there's nothing like game seven and I can't wait to see Game 7 in this atmosphere tonight. Whether you're Canadian, American, uh, East Coast, West Coast, this is going to be really cool. And when you watch it, think of me smiling because this place is just off the charts cool. Uh, it'll be awesome. I'll be watching and apologize to your boss for me. <laughs> hey, he apologized. McAuliffe said, I'm Canadian. We say sorry. <laughs> we say sorry. We say sorry. sorry All right. Be well, man. Enjoy the game. See you, buddy. There is uh, a good Brandon boy, Darren Millard, ahead of game seven between the Wild and the Golden Knights. And you can see it, of course, in Sportsnet because uh, we have all the games right here. <laughs> Got it good and since you understood. Uh, although, Jesse, you were one of the ones. This was one of the bets, right? Minnesota over Vegas. Did that make you feel better or worse about your bet? 
I was fine. I mean, he he conveniently left out the fact that the Minnesota Wild are three and zero in franchise history in Game Sevens. Never lost. Right. What Never that, lost. What's that got to do with this game though? Like, when were those games? Do you know? <laughs> we don't need to go. It's, <laughs> I hate these. Stats, well, why do you have to bring in the context? Franchise stats that are just like it doesn't oh, matter what year it was, who okay. was on the team. They're undefeated in Game Sevens. What the hell does that mean? Okay, they're two and one on the road in the series. They're comfortable playing in the Vegas okay. atmosphere that Darren Millar was talking about. It is going to be amazing i can't wait to watch but timmy we talked about it the minnesota wild it's where the money well, you want to make money when you bet there's gonna yeah, be no, no already, money on i'll Vegas. be honest with you you've already won okay I'll because take that. no you were sometimes when you're gambling you get it right and you don't win the money totally and what you did with this bet was you took the team that had a bunch of value on it what was it do you remember the number? No, we'd have to bring the board back up. I don't want to do that. It was to like the guys plus three hundred or something like that. Yeah, it was like it was two, plus two sixty. I think it was significant odds yeah. against Minnesota, and you got it right. You gave yourself a chance with the Minnesota Wild. Uh, however, you want to cash Appreciate it. Appreciate that. Yeah, you want to cash it in. Yeah, it would be nice. I'll be watching. <laughs> All right, time for our last commercial break of the week. We're back to wrap things up. A little last call next. Tim and friends, Sportsnet. This is Tim and Friends. It's also the end of the best of the week. You've been voting for the best of the week. Sportsnet.ca slash vote. That's where you go every year. And it's not really cool. I don't know. Listen, not sure if Kevin Millar may have swayed the vote, but it looks as though Mama Manoa and her emotions in a landslide. And he is here, his mom's here, Susanna, and everybody is looking forward to this first pitch in the career of Alec Manoa. And, boy, mom's going to have to pace herself in the in the emotions department or it's going to be a long afternoon. <laughs> She's yelling, let's go, baby. He is not shy. Oh, two, and there's a changeup to get him swinging. Nasty stuff as Manoa strikes out Odor. So his first out in the big leagues is a strikeout. One on, one out, no score, bottom of the first. Just let me find somebody to hug, says Mom. <laughs> Mom's reaction after the strikeout of Judge. She can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, she's trying to video it with her phone. She needs to sit down. The first big league inning for Alec Manoa and his mom are in the books in the Bronx. Uh, what a wonderful story and a great way to round out the week. Our best of the week winner, Mama Manoa. Uh, I think the camera will be fixed on her, Jesse, for a while in future, uh, future starts from the young man. Jay's fan base is going to have a meltdown when he allows a run because right now it seems like it's just not ever going to happen. He's, ar he's already on our uh, on guy. our hype train. He's already on uh, he was the, driving it. the bandwagon. Yeah. All right, time now for Last Call with the aforementioned Jesse Rubinoff. Let's hit the animation. Oh, sorry. I didn't think we were. My bad. My bad. Sorry, Matt. I thought, I thought we had an animation. We already hit the animation. Uh, we did it going into the best of the week. Double. I'm sorry. I'm I'm calling things Love like it. I'm directing the show. Friday. It's Friday. I'm sorry. Last call with Jesse Rubino. All right, let's do it. Matt, are you ready? Uh, Shohei Otani gets the start tonight in Oakland. He was supposed to start last night but was delayed getting to the stadium because of a car accident on the Bay Bridge. Otani and other angels took public transit to the stadium but were delayed making a transfer, so Otani DH'd rather than pitching, which Crazy. is insane. Yeah. The A's won the game 5-0 behind a two-hit complete game shutout from Chris Bassett, who was presented with the A's player of the game trident. 
afterwards. I think it's 40 pounds. What was the I'm trying to hold back tears right now. That's, I mean, that's honest. That's uh, there's so many people in this organization that have... That, I mean, they have stuck by my side through so much crap. And I'm just so grateful, honestly. Uh, I'm grateful. It's wonderful. Sorry, I need a drink. No. I'm sorry. No. You're making me drink right now. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't intend that. But, no, but you're fine. Is this? An, is this? This is a big, meaningful step for you, isn't it? I mean, um, man. I, I mean, I'm just. <sighs> there's so many people that have pushed me when I was going through so much crap. Um, my wife, I mean, obviously I have a little girl, but, um, dang, man. Uh, we told you this was going to be a feel-good Friday. What a story. Like, between the Manoa story earlier in the day and then to close it out, one with what you described is true, a 40-pound trident (laughs) that they give to the player of the game. Seems excessive. And then to have that player of the game, Chris Bassett, who basically had struggled before finding his spot in Oakland, unbelievable and every once in a while we need to be grateful and those two moments i love it and i I love the feel good friday story can't get enough we got to do that more often yeah similar to the manoa story just two good baseball stories back to back there yeah uh the lakers beat the suns 109 95 last night to take a 2-1 lead in their series chris paul attempted to play through his shoulder injury again but yeah he's clearly not 100 percent. and after losing the series opener the seven seeded lakers now look to be in total control of the series I think I know the answer to this, but is there any way Phoenix can win without a healthy CP3? No, I want to say yes, but it's no. Like, I want to say yes. And I want to say yes because Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are real. Like, they, what they're building in Phoenix is definitely the right steps. Um, And adding Chris Paul was the icing on the cake. And unfortunately, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to be let off the hook in this spot. And what's so ironic about it all is that the Clippers purposely avoided the Los Angeles Lakers. And it looked like for a glimmer, it looked, I don't think that LeBron is healthy yet. I don't think he's had to push himself yet in this series. AD said as much yesterday. He said LeBron told him that he's got another gear. And LeBron does that because he knows how to do it. Um, So it looks like they're going to get through. The Lakers are going to get through. And Chris Paul will suffer yet another yeah. heartbreak in a career of heartbreak. Yeah, nobody more tormented in the postseason than Chris Paul. By the way, did you see Andre Drummond on the bench of the Lakers mimicking the moves that LeBron? Post-up? It wasn't just the post-up. He did it twice. Here's the post-up. And LeBron's posting up Jay Crowder. And Andre <laughs> Drummond was basically doing the LeBron post-up move. And there was another point earlier in the game where LeBron had the crossover. And, like, now I know why Drummond plays over Gasol. (laughs) Because LeBron loves him. And LeBron was smiling when it was happening. It was unbelievable. That's how how much ease they have right now. Yeah, so disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, oh. I would take it as disrespect, but I'm being told by the young generation that it's just having fun. All right, fine. <laughs> okay. But can- me, me, I'd want to square someone. Yeah, I mean, no, that's just, I'm in your camp. I'm that's a, no. a little old school to me. 
I'm not cool. Let's stop that. saying that. The Canes eliminated the Predators last night, 4-3 in overtime, the fourth straight OT game in the series. Yeah. We saw the team singing happy birthday to Rod Brindamore's dad earlier in the show, and they also trolled the Preds with this tweet mocking their Central Division Champions banner. Pretty oh, good. Man. Are those jerks in Carolina the most fun team in the NHL? That's pretty good. By the way, did you see the response? Enlighten me. Um, the Preds blocked the Canes Twitter account. I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, listen, I like having it, especially on Twitter. That's what it's made for. Uh, I think we're supposed to have fun with it, so have fun with it. I'm good with that. Completely agree. Mr. Svechnikov. Mr. Svechnikov. <laughs> Jordan Martinuk? No, nah, okay, we don't have time for that. Uh, the 105th Indianapolis 500 goes Sunday. You can see it on Sportsnet. 360 at 11 a.m. Eastern. James Hinchcliffe will start 15th. Dalton Kellett will make his Indy 500 debut after grabbing the 30th and final spot in qualifying. 137,000 fans are there. Do you find it encouraging to find crowds coming back? Uh, 130,000. I, I would like to see the results after I say whether or not that's encouraging. But I listen. 135,000. I, I can't wait to get back in an arena and. If they'd let me, I'd drive to Montreal and do it right now. That does it for us. Thank you for watching. It's a Friday, kids. Thanks for watching another week here on Tim and Friends. Enjoy. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Danny. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? It's Friday then. It's Friday, Sunday. Let's send it to Eric Engels in Montreal. Eric, what's going on? Well, first I'll have you know that Deanne just started playing as soon as we got here. When Thornton signed with the Leafs, and you might have been one of them, Ted. How many, Tim, sorry, how many people, Ted? Yeah. That's like Tim Maybe, Sid, yeah. Ted, right? Putting both together. It's <laughs> happened before. Don't worry about it. I understand So, it. Ted, Ted, think yeah. about this. One more player for the Maple Leafs to pay attention to. It will certainly help. Uh, Eric Engels powering through the tests in Montreal as they get set for game time. Leafs and Habs, and what, I feel bad speaking over the anthem, but we got a job to do here. I present to the fans of this pen, the man who gifted me such a wonderful piece of engineering who also happens to be on the NHL and Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Matching glorious pieces of engineering, Anthony Stewart. This isn't the actual real anthem. This is just a practice anthem. Terry Jones writes in and says, Tim McAuliffe always rocking the drip. Hashtag. Timmy drip drip. No, so we'll take that. It's the drip if you wear a shirt under a blazer? What? The, what's the drip? Drip is it. style. Holy oh. cow. Keep up yeah. here. Like, how old are you? You got kids. You got to stay somewhat relevant. Don't no, you? I'm just cool being old and well, angry. Just cool being Kenry. The big exactly. I got the drip, baby. You do have the drip. The suit jacket, yeah. All the time. I've been dripping my whole life. I'm not sure that's the context. I don't think it's dripping. I think that's something different, but whatever. What do you think of Bryson's form? Those are 100 pound dumbbells. What is he doing? Are those shrugs? He's lifting. I mean, he's trying to make a statement here to Brooks. Like, no, you're not the only big boy here, right? <laughs> what is that? Well, I'm not going to throw stones from this glass yeah, house. Yeah, me, me too. But those me do too. not look like hammer curls from back in my day. It looks like a back injury waiting to happen is what it looks <laughs> like. Shrugging. That is tough. Oh, ah, he was better than me. Thanks, Angles. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Whoa.